0: Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Jay Kennedy is an assistant professor at Michigan State University, researching the impacts of insider threat employee theft and product counterfeiting on businesses as well as organizational responses to crime and deviance his particular focus is on small and medium businesses we talked about employee theft counterfeiting people hacking your car and even fake medicine and food so you are really going to get a lot out of listening to him enjoy let's let's have a little fun first so we can get to know you okay okay so we're all at home here. Uh-huh. How's your toilet paper stash?
1: It's doing well. It's Is doing it? well. Actually, I was good. That was, this was a concern to begin with, right? I was good initially. We had like uh, four packets of like, you know, nine rolls, so like 36 rolls when the whole scare first came down. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we were good initially. And then I made a trip trip to Sam's, like, maybe two weeks in, and the guys had, like, a pallet of toilet paper, and they're just throwing it in people's cartons, carts. So I picked <laughs> up another case anyway, so I'm, I'm doing good there. Paper towel's okay right now. Kleenex was the was the issue, but, I mean, it, that's good, too. So okay. I think I'm good on paper goods so far.
0: Okay, okay. So um, Tiger King, you watching it?
1: I am not. Everyone is watching it but me. Um, and the problem is I'm busier. Than, I feel like I'm busier than ever right now. Me too. Me too. I yeah.
0: I've had so many people ask me about it because, you know, that's what I do is is read people in these in crazy crimes. And so I watched it and... It's not the kind of thing I normally watch, but the cats are so interesting that I just kept, and the people are just train wrecks, like individual train wrecks. And then you put them together with the cats and all the people, and it's just, it's it's a So you're saying it's
1: something I need to watch.
0: I feel a little dumber now that I watched it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm going to invite you with me over into being just a little dumber, Jay. That works. Yeah. Okay. A couple more questions. Yeah. What is the latest time that you have gotten out of your pajamas in this whole um, quarantine?
1: So probably, (laughs) uh, it's probably, I want to say 3 p.m., but here's the caveat. Okay. There's a. It was, like, not 3 p.m. the day I woke up. It was, like, 3 p.m. the following day.
0: Oh, God. So so you're going on 24 hours plus? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I thought I was bad at noon, but no. You (laughs) take the cake. All right. um, Earliest time you started drinking? 11 11 a.m. You got any recommendations on breakfast wine?
1: I don't. Don't because I'm mostly a red guy.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. I just
1: finished a about or close to finishing a bottle of sweet red that I brought back from South Africa, but um, I just finished off a bottle of New Year's Eve champagne, Ooh. making mimosas. Oh, so okay. I was doing evening and morning mimosas. Oh,
0: love that. Okay, okay. It sounds like you're doing the quarantine right. One last question, I think. <laughs> D- did you make that one random quarantine purchase? <laughs>
1: I don't know if it's random. So uh, one of the things that I used to love doing was building scale models. Okay. And there's a model that I've wanted for probably 30 years that I bought. It still hasn't come in yet, but I bought it. What is it? um, It's a model of the the USS Nimitz.
0: Okay.
1: It's 135 scale, so when it's fully put together, it's about 38 inches long. Oh,
0: that's a good one. So the Nimitz, isn't that down in um, Norfolk?
1: I don't know where the Nimitz is right now. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. I wasn't sure if I might've been on it. Is it, you know, if it's parked somewhere like for tourists or is it more?
1: I want to say it's still up and going. Um...
0: Well, we'll have to look that up. Someone will write in and tell us, I'm sure. um, I'm interested in that. My husband is a model train guy.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Yes.
0: In our basement, we have the, the train room and, I am fascinated by it, I absolutely love it, and he, he bought me a, um, for his little town, he bought oh, me the the Dairy Queen. So that's, oh, nice. that, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> so All right, okay, on to some of the fun stuff. And you sent me, I gotta tell you, you sent me your, your CV and your resume, and I did not expect 13 pages out of it. <laughs> Um, but I was just riveted by everything you've done. So let's talk a little bit. Well, do you want to talk first about counterfeits or employee theft? Let's, let's start small and get bigger.
1: Sure. So I guess let's talk employee theft. Okay. Um, and the reason I got hooked on employee theft was, uh, I'm a member of a number of fraternal organizations. And, uh, one of them, there's a guy who is a member who, um, stepped into the head role when I was supposed to, after I left, um, and we found out that he had been embezzling from us for probably 10, 15 years.
0: Oh, f- so fraternal, dad was one organ- of our, fraternal organizations uh, meaning?
1: I'm a Mason. So oh, you're a Mason.
0: Mason. Oh, cool. Okay, okay.
1: Yeah, so our Masonic Lodge. Uh, and his dad was one of our oldest living members, uh, and so this guy took over his master, and when he did, the guy took over his the secretary noticed a bunch of stuff going wrong. I mean, he, he was, you know, skimming. He used a large credit card. It, cash wasn't being deposited right. And so, the question that came to mind is: one, why would he do this? But also, what's the impact to the rest of us who like have this emotional relationship with this guy this connection? And so, I started looking at all right, employee theft in small and medium enterprises, and what's the impact. And that led to my dissertation. Uh, And that line of research is what got me into product counterfeiting because of the appointment that I have at Michigan State. Oh,
0: Okay. So let's go back to this one Mason. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Why did he do it? Did you get to the bottom of it?
1: No, we did not get like that. final question of it was, you know, he needed float or, you know, definitely um, lifestyle enhancement. Right? Mm. So he would, like, take trips and, you know, put on a large credit card and, oh, you know, I accidentally used this credit card but then forgot to pay it back.
0: That's what they thing. all say.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, right? I was getting around to it. You know, I, I had the money there. Um, but then, like, things like uh, his home and Internet on the Lodge account. So, you know, we are paying for home, Internet, and TV service. Um, the cash not being deposited is a real easy one, right? There's no way. He, can't, he can produce receipts for what he bought, right? Mm-hmm. he just bought stuff. Uh, and so there was no real good reason. He, I don't think there was ever a full, yeah, I did it. You got me. I'm really sorry. Type of thing. There were a lot of excuses in there. Um, so never got a full explanation, but
0: did, did you all kick him out?
1: Yeah. So this is what the, the, the struggle and I wasn't present at the meetings at the time cause I was out of state. Uh, but the, the, question was, well, what do we do? Do we kick him out? Do we take him to court? All this other stuff. And I said, well, the, our Masonic was pretty clear on what we need to do and bring him up on charges. Um, but we need to pursue this criminally as well. Like, this is something we need to do if we ever want to try and get money back. And they had, well, we could put a lien on his house until he pays and he, he's promised to make payments back to us and blah, blah, blah. And obviously none of that stuff, you know, Fleshed out, so uh, they decided ultimately that it's just a loss, and you know we're going to kick them out and, and let you know that be got be done.
0: Wow, because well, most most fraud never gets paid back like that. No, and most of it's also not prosecuted. Nope. And I know I know you have some research on that. So let's let's get in let's let's kind of take the flow here. So that led you okay. to, to counterfeiting a little bit. Well, that.
1: Yeah, that opened the door to the counterfeiting opportunity. So um, Michigan State has a center, a research center, that does work in product counterfeiting. And because I got an MBA as well as my PhD and my interests sort of meet in the middle of business and CJ, um, I was a good fit for that position. And so when I applied for it, you know, I, I kind of got that role, and I learned product counterfeiting kind of on the job, right? So it became a large part of my research agenda. Uh, but the overlap, there's a, a a decent amount of overlap in terms of the theory that gets applied to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but counterfeiting is only done for money, right? That's the only reason people do product counterfeiting.
0: Well, so. let's, let's let's talk about it, because um, I didn't realize how much counterfeiting there really is. Um, it goes from like Gucci purses, which everybody knows about. Yeah. But then talk to me about food and cosmetics and, and medicine. Like, let's talk about all those and yeah. how, how people can spot it, right? So they're not a victim, whether they're purchasing for their business or maybe even just something for home. I mean, I was just online buying makeup uh, before uh, <laughs> before we were online here.
1: <laughs> uh, don't go to Santa Diego in California uh, and buy, try and buy from there. Um,
0: Wait, what, so, what's it called? i got to write
1: that down. There's a place called Santee Alley in L.A.
0: Okay.
1: And, you know, just renowned for counterfeits. Actually, the official photos they have on their website, you can see counterfeits hanging off of stalls uh, in the photos.
0: Oh, so it's like a flea market kind of thing.
1: Exactly, yeah. So it's like Chinatown in New York, right? Big open-air wow. market.
0: Okay.
1: So um, maybe about 18 or so months ago, L.A. County Sheriff's and LAPD did a raid out there. And seized about a million dollars worth of counterfeit makeup. So, Kylie Jenner, MAC, that type of stuff. Oh. Um, So, that's, you know, you ask one of the cues where you buy your products is a huge sign. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is with the whole coronavirus thing, a lot of people are buying online. Mm -hmm. Well, the online platforms have been a huge, huge go to market for counterfeiters for a long time. And the big cue there is from whom are you buying? And how much are you paying? So for things like makeup, you know, purses, jewelry, all those types of things, it's pretty clear when things are counterfeit because you're going to pay a steep discount, right? It's going to be 15, 20% less, maybe more than what the legitimate item actually costs. Mm -hmm. But it's also going to be sold by a bunch of people who are not affiliated with the actual brand. Now, sometimes brands sell through distributors, and you, but you should be able to get a list of authorized distributors from the brands. So if you can't find that the person selling this product is an authorized distributor, it's probably, it's suspicious at the very least, if not outright illegitimate. Now, how many people are going to do that when they go on Amazon? I was thinking
0: nobody's going to do that. Nobody I'm does not, that. I'm not, Jay.
1: No, right? Nobody does that. So right. all the Thanks. things that would protect us, now that's without what the platform should be doing. Uh And the interesting thing is, um, when's the last time you went on Facebook or picked up your phone and just mentioned something, and then all of a sudden you got an ad for that thing?
0: Oh, my gosh, all the time. Like, it's creepy. It is so creepy. So, okay, talk about that a little bit.
1: So if we've got the technology to be able to discern what type of products you want, we should have the technology to pick out the cues that lie behind these counterfeiting schemes, right? Right. So, if the seller is from out of the US, right, and they're advertising a product that's a name brand at a specific price, and there are, there are um, consumer reviews that say either counterfeit or illegit, we should be able to pick those out pretty quickly.
0: Right, but they don't.
1: They don't, right? Why? Well, part of this is the, their business model isn't set up to push people off of their platforms.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Right? The other part is it's on brand owners, the argument that many of these platforms take is, it's on brand owners to protect their brands. So they say, we don't know, right? This person could be selling legitimate product and you as a brand owner need to tell us when it's illegitimate because we don't wanna take someone off off the platform when they're selling the real item. And so they've created this nice little bubble, right? I can claim ignorance, I don't really need to do all this work, and the onus is on the brand owners and the consumers. Now, even worse, say you buy a product, right? You're online, you're looking for makeup, you buy what you want, you get it in, you get it home and you say, this doesn't smell right or it doesn't look right, I'm going to return this. And you fly, you say, hey, Amazon or whoever, I bought this product, I think it's counterfeit, I'm returning it to you. You would think they would have a responsibility to destroy it or quarantine it or send it in. No. It goes right through their normal return goods create, uh, system, Probably winds up in a bin that gets sold in bulk to somebody who's just buying bins of return stuff on an e-commerce platform, and it gets right back out into the environment.
0: Wow! So, so these count. So not only are we well, the counterfeiters end up stealing a brand ultimately, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not like how many people get sick off this stuff.
1: Well it depends. World Health Organization estimates that about a million people a year around the world die from counterfeit medications.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, in the US the numbers are much smaller because we've got a much stronger healthcare infrastructure. But developing world nations see a ton of this stuff. So estimates are about two hundred thousand people a year in Africa die due to counterfeit malarial and antiviral vaccines.
0: Really? Vaccines? Oh, that's creepy. Like so is that why when, let's say, people go to Mexico or they go to Cuba to get medicine, what are the chances that it's counterfeit?
1: So it depends. Um, it's, it's higher than the U.S., but not as higher as a place like Africa or South America. Cuba, you're going to have more issues than you will Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mexico's got a pretty decent supply chain uh, with pharmaceuticals. But, you know, the further you get to the global south, the further your likelihood increases. Um, And so there's a couple reasons for that. One, so one of the things that we see in Africa is people willingly buy counterfeit medication because they can't afford the legitimate stuff, and they're hoping that the counterfeit stuff has a little bit of the real stuff in there.
0: Okay, but it doesn't?
1: It doesn't, for the most part.
0: So it's like sugar water?
1: At best, yeah. You're You're good if it's sugar water.
0: Right. Like not not like Splenda water, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> or not like you know, fentanyl laced, right?
0: Yeah, 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 huh?
1: Which wow. stuff coming out of China we see all the time? Um, really? Yeah, yep.
0: So so there's factories just set up doing this, or yeah. are they making a lot of products? Some are legit, and then they get an idea, and then they make some that like they figure out they get away with replacing the expensive ingredients with something else or how does how does this really why is this not stopped because it would seem if you went to the source you could figure it out but tell me about that
1: so that's a good question uh, and actually a very good observation so we see a bunch of different schemes Uh, for pharmaceutical counterfeiting it is much much less the case that we see a plant running a third shift and putting in a a phony chemical
0: Mm -hmm.
1: they're typically standalone operations And they're not large-scale manufacturing operations. Typically, it's somebody that's got a small warehouse or they're operating it out of a basement or a garage. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, you can go online and buy pill presses. You can go online and buy vials. You can go online and buy all the packaging stuff that you want. And then you just get whatever ingredients you want, you put it together, and you can ship it out the door. Because it's not labeled as medicine, as pharmaceutical right? Because they lie about what's on the packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, I'm sorry, they lie on the packaging about what's in the container. It's difficult to trace sometimes. Uh, now, that being said, there are some instances where corruption gets involved, right? Uh, fraud is fraud, mm-hmm. and people will bribe their way to get out of these schemes or to fly under the radar of the local government. Um, but if you have something that's labeled as like a nutritional supplement, but it's actually counterfeit Viagra. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can hide that so that you, you know, stuff doesn't come back to you. Uh, false names when you're doing uh, Western Union reports, uh, Western Union transfers, so you know the money doesn't get tracked back to you. Uh, uh-huh. Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, Bitcoin. Let's talk about that because hackers and terrorists uh-huh. love Bitcoin, and I guess now counterfeiters.
1: Yep, it's a it's a great way to get paid and to avoid a paper trail. Because there's, there, you know, there are no BSA, Bank Secrecy Act requirements around Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Um, it is the shady underworld currency. Uh, and because we do see criminal organizations and terrorists involved in product counterfeiting, it's a natural overlap. Uh, and so banks typically won't process transactions to these shady sites. They've gotten on board credit card companies as well. Okay. And so it's, you know, yes, you can pay by credit card, but you use your credit card to buy Bitcoin and then you send us the.
0: So that's that's a big flag. Um, yeah. Whenever, whenever it looks good, and then they ask you to pay by Bitcoin, run.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. Or to do a uh, a wire transfer, or uh, you know their electronic check transfer thing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Okay. Got it. Head
1: for the hills. Yeah. Huh?
0: Now, what about counterfeit food? I mean, I was thinking about like what if my Oreos were counterfeit? Like, I mean, you'd, take, you'd figure it out in one bite, wouldn't you? Or what, Like, what's the biggest product that's out there? Um, how, how can we tell besides taking a bite? Like, what's tell me about that.
1: So, yeah, I mean, you can take the bite, but you've taken the bite. Uh-huh. <laughs> Too late by that point. <laughs> right? Uh, it's like the FDA say, uh, warnings on, you know, counterfeit medicines. They say if it smells or tastes different, then you should be, you know, concerned. Well, if it tastes different, I've already taken it. There's a problem there. Uh Um, So in terms of counterfeit food, uh, so some of the biggest things we see in counterfeit, we've got to use that term cautiously because from my perspective and from a legal perspective, counterfeiting is about the brand. It's not about the product. Okay. So it's stealing somebody else's trademark. Mm -hmm. Now, we can get into fake food, which I think we can, you know, when we talk about it, generally counterfeit fake food. Uh, olive oil is a huge one.
0: I've heard that. And you know, how do you tell the difference? You know who told me that? Um, Lance Armstrong's dad told me that I ended up sitting next to him on a plane and he's a food broker and we were talking about, um, counterfeit olive oil. So tell me a little bit more about that. I mean,
1: How do you tell the difference between extra virgin and regular olive oil?
0: I don't know. It's all the same. Like it is totally the same to me. Totally
1: the same, right? Yeah. Now, if you're from Italy or you make extra virgin olive oil, it's not the same, right? There's a process in it, and uh-huh. X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. But for the majority of us, most of us can't even tell olive oil from like canola oil or so. Now, if you cook with it a lot, you can tell the smell, you know, uh, the uh, the burn, you know, temperature, or whatever, and all that stuff. I
0: think that's the big thing with with that like oh you're not really supposed to cook with it I don't like heat it up too much. I think it's right.
1: You're not supposed more, to fry like French fries with it, right? Yeah,
0: no, it's supposed to be more like a raw kind of experience with
1: cheese. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how many of us can really tell? And so when you go to the store and you grab a bottle off the shelf, there's no way for us to tell that. Wine is kind of similar. So how do you tell like a hundred year old like ten thousand dollar bottle of wine? from a $10 bottle of wine from Kroger.
0: There is a little bit of difference, though. I did I did go to the Food and Wine Fest in Aspen once. I ended up there. And you can tell the difference between a 40-year-old bottle and the same kind that's like a one- or two- or five-year bottle. Like, But it's very slight. And honestly, by the time you have several samples there, you can't tell the difference <laughs> between nothing.
1: <laughs> I was going to say that exact same thing, right? Yeah. I going to say that exact same. After a little bit, you can't really tell. Yeah. Now, the people who know wine, they know, right? They can tell labels, they can tell taste. But for the majority of people, you know, you're out there like, hey, I want to be a big shot. I want to buy a $200 bottle of wine. And you can't tell the difference because you don't know what it's supposed to taste like.
0: Right. Now, but I know you like your, you like your reds, you said. Could you tell? Could you tell the difference? I mean, knowing what you know, like, how's your palate? Have you adjusted or?
1: Not really, um, because I drink so much and I don't <laughs> drink it right. Um, you know, there's a couple of like really good bottles: Opus One, Camus, Mandave um, Private Reserve Cab that I really, really love. But I've had those like once, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, if you put two glasses in front of me, I could tell the difference between one of those and like a, you know, a ten-dollar bottle cheap wine. Right. But if you gave me like a forty-dollar bottle or $80 bottle really good wine and like a $220 Camus, I would say it'd probably be difficult for me to tell the
0: difference. So then are individuals like me and you, uh, are we thinking we're getting a good deal buying this wine online or is it, does it go to the distributor level to end up in stores that way? Like how, how big is this like olive oil and, and food uh thing that's going on with all these counterfeits
1: so it's across the spectrum so it's you and i online trying to find a good bargain all the way to getting into the legitimate supply chain because somebody's been able to fool someone in that distribution stream and once you do that right say you're talking about a wine distributor and you've got like two or three layers of distribution Mm -hmm. once you feel that first once you fool that first distributor you put what's called a veil of legitimacy on that product. Okay. So now it's not coming from some random person. It's coming from a distributor that we know that we trust. Same thing with pharmaceuticals, right? And so as it moves through the system, the more it moves through, the more legitimacy it gets, and the less likely we are to question it. But the counterfeiter's long gone, right? They made their first sale. They're gone. They don't care. The rest of us get stuck with that
0: product. Wow. Okay. So then you're out and about – researching this stuff seeing what's going on but you're not really in law enforcement per se uh that i know about okay or maybe that anybody here knows about (laughs) wink wink (laughs) but what what are you doing are you finding are you making friends with some of these guys and going down in their basements and seeing what's going on over in africa or and calling it in later or what what tell me what's your (laughs) it would be hard to walk away from all this stuff that you know like,
1: tell me about that. So, I do. I do um, a bit of my own kind of investigating on the ground. I've made a relationship with one individual who sells counterfeit goods, uh, although I haven't spoken to him in a while. Uh, but as a researcher, my it's not my responsibility to go in there, identify stuff, and then call them the you know the good guys to do a takedown.
0: Right.
1: My job is to do the research, and so I've got a responsibility to my research subjects that. If they're sharing this information with me, I need to keep their information confidential. Oh, wow. So I would not be the informant going in and saying, "Hey guys, you should look this up," unless it's something that's like killing people, right? That's different.
0: Right. Oh. Wow. So, so you know all these guys? Okay. So then, how much of the stuff in your house is counterfeit?
1: Oh, none. None. I actually. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a. I went through a period when I first got this job that. Uh, Let's just say I spent quite a bit of money replacing a lot of my wife's purses.
0: You did. Oh, wow. Okay, because she had the counterfeit ones, and, yeah. and it was
1: only a few. So it was a, it was just an excuse for me to buy them, okay. right? Because you know it was a nice. She liked them, and it was a nice gift. So uh, she had like maybe two or something, and I it, it was like a a three for one ratio. Maybe I don't know.
0: Okay. All right. So you're only adding yeah. a couple thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a few, you know.
0: Okay, um, okay.
1: But you know, but so good question, right? You say that. I don't know sometimes because I've been fooled and several other people in my research center have been fooled into buying yeah. counterfeits when we thought it was legit.
0: And they're that good. But then how how did you figure it out? Like what'd you buy? So did I'll give
1: you, you a great I'll give you a great example. We have a summit every year where we bring brand owners on a campus and we talk about product counterfeiting. Okay. And we made what, or we got one year, one of our little chot keys was one of those little portable phone chargers. Okay. And it had the uh, Center for Anti Counterfeiting and Product Protection logo all over it. And one of our partners uh, is Underwriters Labs, UL. And so they came to us and they said, you know, and we handed these to all of our participants, law enforcement, brand owners, everybody, and they said, you know, these are all counterfeit, right? <gasps> oh, like no. Me. The bottom, the tag on it or the label said, battery manufactured by UL. Uh-huh. UL doesn't manufacture anything. They just verify processes.
0: Oh boy. Okay. So we had
1: gone through a, a Michigan State University approved vendor, right? We had done everything right. It had our name stamped right on it, and it's counterfeit. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And <laughs> we didn't even I mean we didn't we didn't we didn't think about it because we went through an approved vendor. We didn't think to like look over and make sure that it's counterfeit or not. Uh-huh. And but for that partner recognizing that their logo was counterfeited on it. We would have never known.
0: Wow! Wow! Okay, so so there's not a lot you can really do to stop it besides just undercover infiltrating work.
1: It's been around since um, the ancient Egyptians. Uh huh. Right? Since since the first time someone put their mark on a product that was in demand, we have had counterfeiting. No, what, what the first laws be- on it were passed in like the 1700s.
0: What what would the ancient Egyptians counterfeit? Like, I didn't know they Obelisk. had a What What' say it again.
1: Obelisks and other monuments.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Certain makers, apparently, in ancient Egypt, there would be certain artisans who would make, you know, obelisks and other sculptures and things like that, and they would put their unique mark on it, and those were counterfeited. Uh, ancient Chinese vases, um, Greek sculptures,
0: Wow. So it's, been, it's just been going on forever. So pretty much you're telling me what I'm hearing is it's not going to stop.
1: It's not going to stop, but it can definitely slow down.
0: Right. Cause we just got to pay attention as consumers, the best, best that we can.
1: So it's a couple, right? It, it takes consumers. Now consumers are a big part because consumer demand drives counterfeiting. Sure. Um, for legitimate and illegitimate. Cause there are people that willingly seek out counterfeit products. Um, it's going to take particularly now the e-commerce platforms really taking, stepping up using AI, using other technology. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take law enforcement around the world to really come together Uh, because the places where counterfeits are manufactured tend to be the places where um, economies are suppressed, labor force, uh, you know, unemployment's high, labor rates are low. And what's the social harm of putting hundreds of people out of work who are making counterfeits, but they're earning a legit, uh, they're earning a living for their families.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, can the government come in and say, we don't want you to do this anymore. And we are going to give you economic relief. Right. 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 Most government's going to say, mm, go ahead and do that. And we'll do some marginal stuff to keep it out.
0: Huh. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about, let's, let's transition into employee theft. Cause I know you yeah. know a little bit about that in, Uh, Whether we call it embezzlement or we call it something else, what's going on with that these days? What trends are you hearing about in relation to the virus? Because we got a big economic problem right now.
1: So that's a good question. I haven't heard any trends on the virus, but I'm going to assume it's going down because people. Well, wait a minute. Well, I don't. Okay, I'm going to assume that certain forms of theft are going down, right? Because you know people aren't work high theft industries, you know things like that. Um, it's probably going down. But I wonder, as people are working more from home, if you've got, you know, AP or AR responsibility and you've got access to the accounts and you don't have a boss there, you're just communicating via email, I wonder what's happening in those situations, right? Where somebody's got access to a bank account or the checkbook. Well,
0: there's always, most time, a paper trail, but no one looking over your shoulder is close. Yeah. So they, they got other things to, to worry yeah. about right now.
1: They're worried about making sure customers are still there. They're worried about making sure their employees are safe and healthy, right? If they weren't opening up bank statements before, they're definitely not opening them up now.
0: Right, right. So uh-huh. so where are you seeing the biggest employee theft these days? Like what department or what job description or is there a profile of someone? Tell me about that.
1: So that's a good question. Um, and I don't know if I've got the right answer to that because there's <laughs> – there's so much of it going on, and I'll say this. I think we're seeing some new ways in which theft is happening.
0: Okay. Talk about that. Um,
1: so the advent of electronic – well, not the advent, but the growth of electronic banking and the push for more things being online, particularly with cash apps on people's phones. Um,
0: cash apps like?
1: Uh, like Venmo, Venmo Zelle, okay. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um with the ability to link those to a bank account, right? So, you know, you go to your bank account, send money via Zell, or, just, you know, Venmo or whatever, right? On the bank statements, it just says that you sent money via this app. It doesn't say what it went to.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: can put a note in there if you want, but if not, then you don't. And so, you know, that bit of ambiguity, if you're bank, if you're a small enough business or a medium-sized business, and you've got an, a, a customer that you pay, particularly with the gig economy, right, that you pay with these type of means – I would see that as a great opportunity to start taking money off the top, right? Because oh, you can yeah. easily create invoices. The it, you know the bank statement is just going to say to whatever cash payment app. Um, now, if you go to the cash payment app, I guess you can subpoena them to get records on where the money went. But, you know, unless you're a large corporation, are you going to spend the money to do that? Or if it's yeah, a large no. amount, you're not going to spend the money to do that. Totally
0: not. Yeah.
1: Um, but I wonder – Uh, So one of the things that I was, before the whole crisis, you know, we were doing really, really well in terms of the unemployment rate. Yeah. And um, one of the things I was telling people about was this is not a sign or this is not a time when you need to let your foot off the pedal in terms of vetting, one, the individuals who you're hiring, but also keeping an eye on your funds. Because the job, because unemployment is so low, good people have options to go places because companies are looking for people. Mhm. And so there's no disincentive to leaving on a, you know, on the turn of a dime if you're a good if you, you know, proceed to be a good employee and you feel like, you know, the heat's coming down on you. So there's I mean, if you're stealing, you can steal and then say, "All right, good, I'll see you later. I got another job and go somewhere else." Very unlikely that new employer is going to do a full round of vetting because they need people they want to bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, the person you know, who, the person who you're leaving, may just think, "Oh, it's just natural." They got a job. I may mean, not think there's something suspicious about it. So, you know, low levels of unemployment, I don't think reduces. Now, I don't have any numbers to back that up. That's just my my thinking. Yeah. But I don't think it reduces the likelihood that we're seeing a lot of theft still going on.
0: Right. And now that unemployment's high,
1: we'll see now. Yeah. Now, what's going to happen when people <laughs> come back to work? Right. So well, you've got yeah, all when these. they come
0: back to work, they're, they, I mean, they're going to be glad they have a job, but they're going to be stressed. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you're going to be thinking, what bills have I not paid that have piled up? Yeah. Yeah, I'm making a great paycheck now, but that paycheck is going to pay the bills I have now. What about the bills that have piled up? How do we cover that?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Or even
1: worse, you know what? I stuck through with this company when they laid me off, right? I stuck around, or when they reduced my hours substantially, and you didn't give me a bonus, you didn't give me a raise. This is money that I'm owed.
0: Yeah. Feeling of oh, entitlement. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, what's the craziest either employee theft story or maybe even a counterfeit story? Like, what's the craziest one you got? <laughs>
1: um. Okay. So, the craziest one that I that I heard. I guess this is the craziest. Um, was during my dissertation when I was interviewing small business owners uh, in Cincinnati. And so there's a, um, there's a gentleman who owned a a mechanical services firm and he had an employee and uh, one of his kids worked in the office, had a physical issue, had a, a physical health issue. And so the kid went out, this employee stepped up. Now, Um, the employee was going through some issues at home herself. So there was a point where apparently she couldn't make it to work. So the guy gave her a car, right? He's like, we have fleet vehicles, gave her one, said, you know, it's worth probably like $15,000, right? Give me five, we'll call it a day, and then just pay me back over time. Never, you know, never, whatever. So ultimately this lady started stealing from the company, but by writing checks in the owner's kids' names, because the kids would come in and work seasonally as they were in college or over the summer or something like that. And so she would write checks to herself, basically putting it in their names in the account books.
0: Okay, wait. So putting it in their name meaning? So
1: on the ledger, uh-huh. she would put the funds under the kids' names, but she would write the check to herself.
0: Oh, okay. Right? okay. So we
1: paid, A, right? we paid Jay $3,000 this month, but in reality only got 1000 She took two. Uh-huh.
0: Right. Wow. Okay. Well, check fraud. That's what, that's what I'm hearing from. So investors. That.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then when she was caught, so when she was caught, the accountant the accountant who was looking at said, well, we got about like $5,000 here. She said, yeah, yeah, it's $5,000. Then of course, you know, Doug a little bit more. Oh yeah, no, it's 10,000. Oh yeah, no, it's 15. So it came out, I think he said it was somewhere around like forty-five, fifty thousand $50,000. She did not pay anything back for the car. So she got the car.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He took her to court. The judge said, well, I can throw her in prison, but then you'll never get, you know, restitution. Let's just do restitution. This guy said, okay, I'll do restitution. So she got restitution. Uh, I think she was paying like $10 a month or something in restitution. $10. Yeah. She got a job at another firm in the area, started stealing from them almost immediately, went back to jail, right, went back and ultimately went to jail for that. Mm -hmm. The owners of the two companies knew each other because they were in the same industry. The owner of the victimized firm, the, the second firm, calls up the first firm and says, why didn't you tell me this lady was a thief? He said, you never called to do an employment check. If you had called me, I would have told you anything you wanted to know. Oh,
0: boy. Well, I have a, another guest that we had on here, uh, Susan Fruit, and she had an employee do a real similar thing, and she owns an HVAC and plumbing company. So same industry, yep. same real similar story about what happened. So question is then, do you think that that industry is more prone to that for some reason?
1: You know, given everything I've looked at, I don't think so. Um,
0: Just an I think it's a
1: So actually, so, you know, good question, because this, this brings something back that I'd forgotten about. Uh, I interviewed a couple of medical professionals, um, and I inter- interviewed a vet who was adamant that vets are taken to the bank all the time. Okay. Because they're good doctors, they focus on what they do, but they're horrible business people. Okay. And so they give no oversight, and they have no clue cool when money's gone. Because They get a lot of money in, and it's just, as long as everything's operating well, it's good. He said, I know guys who have been taken, you know, they've been cleaned out, and they still refuse to do any type of um, oversight or um, guardianship within in in-house with people. Um, so I think, you know, so at least from that anecdotal evidence, vets in, med- in med- uh, medical offices are
0: probably Vets right. in medical offices more than HVAC. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Now, um, let's see. I don't want to keep you all day here, but I'm really curious on one more thing on, on your no. CV that you sent me. It looks like you got a big grant from Ford to, yeah. to do automotive cybersecurity research. Because so, yeah. a lot of cars are hooked up to the Internet now. I assume that that's what uh, what you were studying, but tell me a little bit about that.
1: So I got, uh, I got pulled into this uh, through a buddy of mine, another professor at Michigan State, Tom Holt, who's a cybersecurity expert. Uh, and my role in this was to, one, apply chronological theory, but also look at the insider threat. So when you go to your car, right, particularly a modern car, and you get in your car, or, you know, I get in my car, and my phone automatically connects to my car. So... Someone trying to hack into my phone, very, very difficult. But when I take my car to the service department and they plug that little thing into the OBD2 port, they get access to all of the computers in the car. And so any information that's on any of those computers, they can get access to. Also, if you've got a wireless hotspot in your car or if you get like satellite radio, there are weaknesses. We haven't seen anything happen, quote, unquote, in the wild yet, but we know that there are weaknesses there the people can get in and hack into those systems and they can get access to all of your data via your car. So as we're building out smart vehicle technology, like driverless cars and, you know, cars connected to home and all that stuff and sending information to the dealerships and all the stuff in real time. The question was, what's the opportunity for people to hack in and get access to that more specifically for me as Ford and all these other companies work with contractors Right? They farm this out for people to write code and to build these systems. What happens to the knowledge of these systems? So it's a digital environment, right? It's all digitized information. If I write that code and I'm just a contractor, and I leave and I go to another job, I still know what that code is. I have access to it, and if I wanted to share it with someone, I can easily sell it to somebody who can then hack the system and then backdoor their way right in and get all of your data.
0: Wow. Shut down your car,
1: turn your radio station.
0: Wow. So, um, do you think, uh, like, is is car cybersecurity an actual problem right now, or is it a potential problem?
1: Like so it's time? it's it's a small, minor problem right now, but it's a definitely a it's definitely more of a potential problem
0: mm-hmm. coming in the
1: future. So uh, most the, of the reason. Sorry. No, oh, no. Go ahead. I would say most of the reason why it's not a huge problem right now is because many cars still aren't connected in the way that makes them very vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Is is the worst problem that a car hack uh, could, uh, I guess, result in, would that be getting someone's information, which is a problem, or could they make the car blow up or take over the vehicle? Like, tell me about that.
1: So ultimately when we're talking about connected or autonomous vehicles, like semi-autonomous vehicles, there's a potential they could take over the vehicle.
0: Oh, man. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, Turn off brake or, you know, Apply brakes, turn off brakes, apply the accelerator, all that stuff's electronic. It's all controlled through the master brain of the computer. And if you can get into it, yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. That just freaks me out. That is, so is, is there anything we can do to stop that? Did you find any – what are they – are they building things in? Tell me about that.
1: Sure. So uh, they're definitely building in uh, processes to stop it. Part of it is this continual renewal of information. So every time you get something that says update X, Y, and Z, update X, Y, and Z. Got it. It's typically because they found a weakness, whether that weakness has been exploited or not, but they found a weakness that could lead to an exploitation. Wow. It's an update. Okay. Uh, The other thing is they're building in a lot of redundancies to try and stop, you know, so it's not just one system they have to overcome. It's multiple that have to be overcome. And then they're doing a lot of stuff that they're not telling us about which right. I think is a good thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so we don't have to worry about terrorists taking over our cars just yet, is what I'm hearing. No. Okay. I'm very relieved
1: about that. <laughs> <So>. No, <laughs> no, you're good for now.
0: Good deal, good deal. All right. Well, uh, what is the one thing I haven't asked you that can really, like the knowledge of which can really help the people listening to make their lives uh, more safe and uh, more on the up and up so they're not a potential victim?
1: Um, so I would say, you know, the, anything about the value of being proactive, right? So with both employee theft and product counterfeiting, we see a lot of reactivity, right? People may have Fidelity insurance, but they've got like $100,000, you know, you know, $10 million business, right? Uh, or even larger. And it's not until after something has actually happened to them that they start to see the value of being proactive. And so, you know, I wrote a paper with my mentor Mike Benson about the emotional impact of employee theft In small and medium enterprises. There's, you cannot understate that. The narratives that we had lined up very much with the narratives of victims of sexual assault. And so this is a, this is a long time. Like the people that I interview, some of them it was 10 15 years ago that they you know they were stolen from they they had visceral responses i worried about revictimization you know issues because we were talking about these things there were visceral responses to the fact that they were reliving this violation of trust right somebody i trusted i had known for years i brought into this business and they stole from me and like i just i they they still haven't been able to process it i you can't put that in words how much of an issue that can be. And so I really, really preach proactivity. And part of that is, and you know, I mentioned this to you before, right? Having, and this is something I really need to get back to, is developing that script of what do I do if I have a theft. And the research on psychology says that one of the worst times for us to make really important decisions is when we're in one of those situations when we've been victimized and we're trying to process all of this emotional trauma. At those points, we make horrible decisions. So the best thing to do is to either pass decision-making off to somebody else or to beforehand, if you're cognizant enough, follow a script on, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to contact my accountant. I'm going to shut this bank account. I'm going to call the police. Having that plan specific to a business I think is the best thing that a company can do.
0: So having an emergency plan
1: is
0: what –
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's something I really want to develop, right? What does that look like? What's the basis of it, right? What are the things that you need to have in there? And then, you know, once it's done, it sits on your shelf, and you update it every once in a while as situations in the business change. But if you never have to use it, small investment. You never have to use it. But when you do have to use it, so important. It's so, like insurance.
0: So that, that's what you were telling me about, how you haven't quite de- worked on developing your products like you wanted to. Is that the one you were telling me
1: about? That's thats the one product that I think we really, really need, right? Now, the difficult, the difficult sell in there is if you've never had an employee theft, think, well, I'm not going to have an employee theft, or no one can steal enough from me to really have an impact or, you know, it's not really worth it or all. You know, I've got a good structure in place. Don't have time. Very well. But there are thousands, millions of people who said the same thing that have been victimized.
0: Well, exactly. Until it happens to you, man. But yep. uh, so, Jay, how can people get a hold of you so you can help them with their plan?
1: Sure. So the best way to reach me is just to email me. That's jpk at msu.edu or you can just type in j kennedy michigan state university and you can find me via google that way shoot me an email um... and more than happy to talk to people individually about their specific circumstances because this is not an off-the-shelf thing right? it's it needs to be specific in many ways to each individual's business because it's different yeah uh, but i'm always open to talk whether it's about product counterfeiting keeping them out of your supply chain if you're a brand owner and you're worried about it employee theft whether you just want to talk about how michigan states potentially going to do if we have a football season
0: ah. and then, <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.